0: right on radio
1: right on radio hey
0: everyone welcome this is going to be an amazing amazing interview that i have for you today i'm actually recording what you're watching right now after uh doing the taping my interview with author tim cohen went for Well, about three hours and 22 minutes, but then we talked for about another half an hour uh, at the conclusion of our recording. And just because of the late time of the day, um, I'm trying to do some editing. Uh, It won't be fancy, so there's going to be a cutoff uh, because we do change subjects a couple times in this, and we've gone down a couple different paths. I'm going to tell you... Uh, so I'm going to break it into three sections. Uh, this one is going to be part one, and then there will be a part two, and then a very short part three. When I say very short, about 15 minutes or so. Uh, but it's really quite important. I would have put part three with part one. It should be, uh, just I don't uh, don't have time. And I, I really honor my the show time at 7 o'clock and rendering video and stuff like that just takes a lot of time for those of you who are listening to this on podbean i implore you to go to rumble to watch this video uh on our rumble channel because you want to see the evidence uh it's it's impossible to describe every bit of this stuff and i really want you to follow along uh it's important And one of the things, actually, so a couple of things that came out in this lengthy interview uh, was, first of all, he's coming back, but he mentions a few things that he's never mentioned in interviews before. And I think you're going to be blown away. It, it, It gets a bit wild. And after the interview, we... Talked about some few things and man, some doors opened up um, when I combined some of the things that I know and I study and with what he knows, like he got excited as well. So God bless each and every one of you. Please enjoy this. And I apologize for the abrupt cutoff at the end of this one today, but it's the best I could do with the time that I have. You are here for a reason. Breaking down the brotherhood, one prayer at a time. Right on, right on, right on. Right on Radio. For continuous coverage, the latest information, separate fact from opinion. Get the news. (laughs) You're listening to Right On Radio. You are here for a reason. Yes, indeed. You are here for a reason. And today we will name the Antichrist. He is walking amongst us. He is the one, uh, according to my guest, and I believe his research, there is only been one individual that fits the biblical criteria. So we're going to show you a lot of evidence. No, you're not going to have to wait till the end of the show to find out who it is. It's going to be right away. Uh, But first, I just haven't done this in a long time. Your freedoms are being taken away, people. Your supply chains are being cut off. And not many of you, not nearly enough of you have gone into our program, which is mylibertystand.com. Secure supply chain, same prices, not poisonous for you, and it is just the right decision. It's not going to cost you anything more, but it also helps support people like myself and other people in this community. Please go to mylibertystand.com. And I just wanna say this about uh, this author that I've brought on. Uh, Many in the community have seen his interviews because we've shared them on our Telegram pages. But I am truly impressed with the stuff that he puts out. And even before he comes on, I want to give out his website. You'll want to go to this right away. The resources are there. I've already ordered the second edition. Of his book, The Antichrist and a Cup of Tea. I was hoping to be able to hold it up uh, on the screen here in front of you, but I ordered the second edition and I'm waiting for it. Uh, He has tons of resources there. That is prophecyhouse.com. All one word, prophecyhouse.com. And after this interview, if you wish to see uh, some more of his stuff he has very organized playlists on a, his own YouTube channel and it is author Tim Cohen so that's on YouTube at author Tim Cohen and without further ado please welcome Tim Cohen to write on radio Tim I'm so glad you're here
1: oh thank you Jeff it's great to be here listen would you like me to show the cover of the Antichrist company the second edition here
0: uh, absolutely you have know, free uh, range me- here.
1: Okay, let me do that for a moment here. Um, Where do I find the share button? It should be right down at the very bottom where it says present. Present, there we go, okay. And we'll share screen. Uh, Let's see if it allows me to choose, there there we go.
0: Yeah, and you're gonna have to share quite a few things, particularly the coat of arms.
1: Are you seeing it? there we go okay so that's the front cover of the book it's a little bit larger and it has this subtitle versus the first edition so this is the new one and and so right there the tim
0: you've just named who the i Lord have I give is. It away. <laughs> why don't you put it out there uh for everyone to hear it officially and then we'll provide the evidence
1: yep king charles the third foretold as charles prince of wales based on this imagery and the name calculation, which we'll address. Forgive me if I go the wrong direction, but I do that often here. This is the uh, name calculation page from the first edition of the book uh, right here from the 1998 edition. So we'll go into that here in a while, just so people can see it. And then, uh, the second edition of the book and somewhere here, I've got the first edition. There we go. That's the cover of the first edition. This is RGB, so I'll come back and describe this a little more. You'll notice that the color of the unicorn is different on this. It's not actually a different um, coat of arms. It's because of the color spectrum used to show this. So basically, its real color is not gray or, or pale gray. It's actually pale green gray, the color of rotting human flesh. In reality, that's its color. So with that being shared, let me stop sharing for the moment. And let's proceed, and I'll come back to those things.
0: One of the things that uh, you know I often hear, and okay. one of the themes behind right on radio these days, Tim, is we say, Be the Berean, do not take man's word for things. You need to look it up in scriptures for yourself. And you know, one of the first thoughts when I had heard that it's King Charles is something that I've heard many people in the Christian community say, Well, he's got to be this young, charismatic person, it's got to. And then I went and searched the scriptures, and it doesn't say any of that.
1: No, it doesn't. There are many things people say. You know, they say he's got to be about 30 years of age, because they presume that on the basis of Christ's ostensible age when he began his ministry. First error. Second error, they assume he's got to be very charismatic, because the world is going to follow after him. Forgetting the fact that by that point, Satan will be possessing the Antichrist. His personality will change. And then, of course, not knowing about... uh, in the case of Charles, his real power behind the scenes that he's had for decades.
0: And the one point I do want to make that the Bible does say, it doesn't say that he's going to be charismatic, doesn't mean he has to be really good looking. Although, as as Tim said, there is going to be a bit of a change that I suspect is going to happen. The one thing the Bible does say is he will have power. And right now he has considerable power.
1: In fact, scripture says he'll have power over every tribe, tongue, and nation, and it's hard actually to argue with the idea that he already has that. But the context of the statement, as we'll see in Revelation 13, is it occurs in connection with Satan giving him his power throne, and great authority. We can presume that has to do with when he's possessed by the devil, but the reality is he's already got enormous power behind the scenes. Another common thing that people say, and I've done another interview, by the way, Jeff, uh, where I go through common objections that people have posted in the comments. I posted that on our
0: Telegram channels. It was fantastic.
1: Oh, good. Good. Yeah. But another very common one is people will say, well, he's a homosexual and Charles isn't a homosexual. And they'll base that uh, without necessarily knowing the verse from which they're speaking on Daniel 11, uh, verse 37, which is about a king of the north, you know, biblically they'll assume that that individual is, number one, the same as the Antichrist who's going to have a global reign, and number two, that that prophecy is not already fulfilled in history, uh, when in fact that verse was fulfilled historically. Um, Secondly, it's not actually about the foretold Antichrist, although that individual is a type of Mm. the Antichrist. And thirdly, with them not actually knowing about Charles, who happens to be a bisexual and a sodomite, according to multiple reports, including people who lived in his household. So, uh, so if people want to argue that the Antichrist is nonetheless a sodomite or a homosexual or that kind of thing, Charles still fits the bill.
0: Uh, there's another one that comes up though, Tim. Uh, mm-hmm. The Antichrist is going to be Muslim. What say you?
1: Uh, in fact, he is. <laughs> I mean, not based on any biblical criteria, so let me be clear on that. that. There are a number of criteria that people have put out there that actually are not from Scripture. And, and this is very interesting. You know, we saw Christ fulfill a variety of things at his first coming that are not actually based on Scripture. They're based on the expectations that people at the time had. Uh, some of which were biblically based and others not so much. You know, like the idea, for example, that only the Messiah could you know, heal somebody who was mute and blind you know, or cast a demon out of somebody like that. You know, there were traditions in rabbinic Judaism that didn't come from scripture, but nonetheless, Yeshua, Jesus, fulfilled those. In the case of Charles as the Antichrist, there are a number of claims, like the idea that he'll be a Muslim. Here's a good one for you, and I haven't mentioned this in other uh, interviews to date. Uh, Joel Richardson, who popularized the idea of uh, Erdogan, Turkey's uh, leader, being the antichrist, potentially, in error. You know, he popularized that, but he popularized the notion of this Muslim antichrist, not just coming out of the Middle East, but out of Turkey, most likely, specifically. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have understanding of the topic in reality in most in most every way, but it turns out that Charles' conversion to Islam occurred in Turkey, supposedly, according to all the claims. You know, under one of the most prominent Sunni Muslims in the world, in Turkey. So
0: that's one of those idioms that has been fulfilled that was not biblical, but they do it to satisfy those looking for those signs.
1: Well, or God allowed it to satisfy those signs, yes. So so the point is, even Joel Richardson, if he knew that, and he hasn't read the first edition of my book, or he would know it because it's even in the first edition, uh, it's in a footnote in the 1998 edition that that occurred in Turkey. Uh, even he would have to say, okay, could Charles be the Antichrist on that fact alone?
0: Now, you say your your first book, uh, The Antichrist in a Cup of Tea, came out in 1998, but I saw an interview with you saying that you've actually made public statements that it's King Charles going back as far as 1987, if I have that correct?
1: Yes, while I was still a cadet at the Air Force Academy. That's when God showed me who it was. So I had the English name calculation as well as the full uh, official coat of arms, the one that we saw on the cover of the book. I had both those things in addition to a cropped off version of the most prominent quote-unquote unofficial version of his heraldic achievement, which we'll talk about a bit and is shown in the book. I had all of that before I left the academy. The Lord provided other things afterwards. So for example, when I was stationed briefly at Shepherd um, Air Force Base in Texas, After I left the academy, there was a gentleman who was homeschooling his daughters who on the basis of a strange conversation we had invited me to dinner uh, with my roommate at the time and we went and he presented to me the official lineage of Queen Elizabeth II at the dinner, knowing nothing about what I was working on. I hadn't mentioned Charles to him at all. And he literally just pulled this thing out and said, look at this with zero context. You know, from in terms of anything I would have said. In fact, the only reason he invited me to dinner was uh, he mentioned that he and his wife were homeschooling their daughters while I was there for some training at Shepherd. And I said, because I didn't know the biblical chronology at that time, I hadn't gotten that far in my study of Scripture. You know, God had shown me who the Antichrist was, but but that part of Scripture I was ignorant about. And so my response to him, because I knew who the Antichrist was at that point, I hadn't told him that, but I said to him, well. You know, in a little more than seven years, you won't have to worry about that anymore. Meaning the idea of homeschooling his daughters. And his response was, I hear you. Would you like to have dinner with my wife and I tonight? You know, that was the full conversation. And then when I got there with my roommate for dinner, he said, take a look at this. And he pulled out this chart. (laughs) It was a key piece of the information, you know, what's on that chart. So that's how God did things basically in, in leading me by the hand to the evidence
0: wow and then and so I, I I make that point of going back to 1987 because you ha- literally have decades of bit watching this and watching all the signs and watching the meetings and watching his responsibilities and you know just from listening to your other interviews and looking at the materials on your website prophecyhouse.com and the original book was what 440. 440- four pages or something like that, if I remember
1: correctly.
0: So, and how how many pages is the second edition?
1: Closer to 670 in a larger format. So it's got, I don't know exactly, 40 to 50% more material in it. And that's even with removing a 90-page section roughly on background to the East peace process up through 1998 that has itself been moved into a new multi-volume series I have coming titled Israel, quote-unquote, Peace in the Coming World War. The great tribulation is near and that tie that that series will be retitled by the time it's published a little bit but that's the 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 core part i guess of the title that's what it's about
0: so i i say all this to mention that there's overwhelming evidence to support this so if you think no it can't be king charles it can't <laughs> wait till we see some evidence and, and i guess one of the things That I'd like to start with and I don't want to take you out of order because I don't know uh, exactly which your favorite way to present this is but to me the coat of arms says just about everything.
1: Okay well we can start with that but uh, let's go through the scripture that talks about this first and what some of the biblical criteria are to identify the Antichrist. In other words how we avoid going astray as so many have, you know, and making these false identifications historically and all these, you know, suggestions today, like Erdogan and, and literally two dozen other people I could name off the top of my head. You know, in fact, let me just run down a list and people say, yeah, I've heard that name. You know, just, you've probably heard half a dozen of these, everybody who's listening, you've probably heard half a dozen of some of the names I'm going to mention. So there's Erdogan, uh, Emmanuel Macron, Francis, Emmanuel Macron, uh, obviously Barack Obama, Oh, gosh, uh, multiple U.N. Uh, heads, multiple you know heads of the U.N. historically have been named as possible candidates, some of whom are still alive. Uh, you have, uh, gosh, uh, people well, like. William, definitely. Well, yeah, I don't want to get to William yet. I'll, I'll talk about him when I deal with the coat of arms. But yes, Prince William, of course. And. Then you have Klaus Schwab now, head of the WEF, being mentioned. You have uh, Yuval Harari, uh, you know, an Israeli professor who's an atheist and a homosexual sodomite, being mentioned. You have, uh, gosh, it's so many people I lose count. Bill Gates you know, is a big one, who's frequently mentioned. Uh, you can go right down the list. And, oh, Xi Jinping, China. Vladimir Putin, now that uh, Russia's invaded Ukraine constantly comes up, right? People are just angry, you know, with some of these world leaders. And so, of course, they're the Antichrist, you know, as far as they're concerned. But they are. Well, many of them are Antichrist, yes. But yeah, they're not the one Antichrist. who's going to be over a global government for three and a half years and be possessed by the devil, you know, throughout the Great Tribulation. That's what distinguishes the person I'm talking about, you know, the Antichrist and the cup of tea, from all of these other Antichrists. You know, there have been... I don't know what the count would be, but maybe thousands. You know, of Antichrist that people could point to if they counted every one of them. Yeah, you know, in the historical record, people who made claims that could be viewed as the kinds of claims an Antichrist might make. Um, there are several today. You know, uh, Kim Jong Un of, of, of North Korea. You know, as a tyrannical ruler who's practically worshipped as a god among North Koreans, the way they treat him, even if he doesn't make that claim for himself, right? So there are so many people we could look at, even just today. And all of the names that I've mentioned, uh, including Justin Trudeau and some others, are actually put out there in various places by people, you know, as potentially the Antichrist. Because people don't know better. They've heard, you know, a few tidbits here and there. And and like I said, they, they don't like somebody, or they see somebody as obviously evil. And so, of course, that person is the Antichrist as far as they're concerned, or a candidate to be the Antichrist. And that's as far as the thinking goes. And there's nothing biblical about any of that, other than the notion that somebody might be claiming to be a quote-unquote God, or a tyrannical ruler, or an obviously evil person influencing the world, doing bad things, or a mass murderer, or, you know, whatever it might be, right? Or somebody like Joe Biden and Barack Obama before him, who were promoting sexual Satanism to the world and still are, you know, behind the scenes. You know, this rebellion against God in terms of the nature he gave us. So, all that being said, let's look at what scripture really does say and uh, some actual evidence. Let me uh, come back here to sharing my screen again. And I know this creates a weird effect uh, briefly for people. Are you seeing my screen? Yep, yeah, just now. Okay. Let me pull out um, some scripture. Let's do that. Back, let's do. All right, so this is Revelation chapter 13. between this chapter and Daniel 7, which is the two on which we'll probably most focus here um, mm-hmm. in this interview we get a lot of criteria to identify the Antichrist. Uh, without going into too much of it, uh, literally every symbol that is on this heraldic achievement, this coat of arms, and, and I'm gonna go away from this one to the better version on the, uh, because you can see it better on the uh, new cover. But I do want again to emphasize that this is pale green gray. So I'm gonna show where that where that is significant biblically in a moment as well in Revelation 6. But in essence, this identifies Charles not just as the Antichrist, but as the fourth horseman of the apocalypse of Revelation 6. So he is the fourth horseman, the one who will be named Death. And we'll come back to that. And maybe I'm going the wrong direction there. Let's see. Okay, there we go. So every single symbol that is on this heraldic achievement, and that's what it's formally called or coat of arms, is described in Scripture. There aren't any exceptions, in fact. And I go through that. Uh, in the book, you know, where I give the specific references, the, spe- the uh, specific citations, and we'll cover a little bit of that today. But uh, we're going to primarily focus on this beast, this beast, and the red dragon, and then this chain, and the conversation here today. And then we'll deal with the name calculation also. So let's dig into Revelation 13. So in Revelation 13, we have two beasts. One arises from the sea, the second arises from the earth. And then when we get down to verse 18 here, where it tells us to do the name calculation and it talks about the beast, in context, it's actually referring not to the second beast, but to this first one that arises out of the sea. And when we look at the imagery that's provided here, apart from the fact that it rises out of the sea, and when we say out of the sea, Jeff, we're talking about you know geographically relative to the location of Israel on the globe so for example the united kingdom is overseas relative to israel right and is like a huge island in the sea you know from which charles arises as the antichrist
0: you, you so, know scripture can be can represent so many different things and and i don't want to get you off topic but one of the things that, you know, in studying this, and I wouldn't have thought of this until a couple of years ago, is we've learned how the world has been put under maritime law and there's common law, which is common law of the land. And I've always wondered if they were, if this was somewhat of a metaphor for uh, coming out of the maritime law and then bringing it to common law uh, on the earth. And that's how somehow peace comes about. I, I don't know if that's true, but it's, to think about these things?
1: Well, an example of something that does relate to what you're saying is there are a fair number of people out there today who say that the United States is a corporation of the crown, Mm -hmm. that it belongs to the British monarchy through various families who incorporated the United States under the crown and that therefore all, all of our laws in this country are actually subject to the crown that we never really won the War of Independence, that we were taken over behind the scenes by financial or another means, yeah. through lawfare. And the claims are quite interesting, but they specifically have to do with the area of law of the sea and things like that. So that's something people can go and look into further. To me, it's a bit of a moot point because Charles is already running the show from a variety of other perspectives that we can, very objectively trace and I do objectively trace in the book. Mm -hmm. But if people want to strengthen that case further, go research the claims about the United States being ostensibly, supposedly a corporation of the British monarchy of the crown. So, you know, and uh, again, that directly relates to law of the sea type stuff. Yeah. Okay. So there are two beasts, the one, the one out of the sea and the other one, it says comes up out of the earth or the land. So we're going to focus for now on the one out of the sea. And when we get into this imagery, which shows up very, very quickly here, it says, Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear and his mouth, like the mouth of a lion. And then it tells us the dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. So when I first read this, Jeff, you know, 1980s, I thought, okay, I believed God's word was literal. But. I'd never seen anything like this. And, uh, you know, there's nothing like this in nature. And I thought, okay, could it be, because I was a big science fiction buff, you know, I watched a lot of sci-fi. I thought, could it be some sort of camera produced by mad scientists today, right? With genetic engineering, or uh, is it some thing that's going to be a statue or whatever that literally exists? Is it going to be something else? You know, like a hologram, whatever. There, there are a lot of ways that you could, even in 1987, you know, try yeah. to envision this. And I thought, okay, well, I know God's word is literal, so I I literally asked God, I said, okay, God, what is this talking about, Lord? What is this talking about? I know your word is literal. What is this talking about? And uh, within a month, I had the official heraldic achievement, this one, that's on the cover of the book, in my hands. While at the academy, I had it in my hands within a month of asking God to show me that, in addition to the name calculation to which we'll return. But let me point out here, this says like, like, and like. So some people look at this imagery and they say, well, those aren't the feet of a bear. It's not the body of a leopard. It's not the mouth of a lion. So that can't be it, right? But what the scripture is saying here is these are similes. It's like the mouth of a lion. Yeah, It's like the feet of a bear. And it's like the body of a leopard, okay? So these are similes. It's not precisely that, in other words, and then it tells us, so we're, we're reminded of those things when we see this imagery, in other words, so you can see that this beast, the body has proportions like a leopard's body, not a lion's body. The body has exaggerated feet like those of a bear, and I'll return to that because they actually did use bear's claws in the graven versions of this at Charles Investor in July 1969. Where, where it's explicitly like Bear's Claws, and you can see that you're looking at Bear's Claws on two different versions of the graven heraldic achievement or coat of arms that were shown over two of the gates at the castle, Cairnarvon Castle, where Charles was formally invested as Prince of Wales in July 1969. Those are shown inside this second edition of the book, by the way, so people will be able to actually see that. And then you can look at the mouth and you can see, well, it, it kind of looks like the mouth of a lion, right? But it's not precise yeah and if somebody wanted to go look at an actual lion on one of these heraldic achievements coats of arms just go look at queen elizabeth ii's heraldic achievement the photographs of it the ones that were over her throne uh in her throne room and you can see that she had a normal lion in place of this beast right here on her coat of arms this is a lion leopard bear beast in fact, as far as heraldry is concerned, and it's unique to Charles in all history. No one else has ever had it. His sons do not have it. They never will have it. Uh, there has been a lion, a normal lion, like on Queen Elizabeth II's coat of arms. People can go see that. And I show that also in the book, by the way. And then there has been the lion leopard type beast, uh, sometimes in place of the normal lion for England. Ordinarily, this is here for England. But you've never had one with feet like this until Charles Heraldic achievement, unique to him. So coming back to this imagery here, it says that the dragon gives him his power, throne and great authority. So not only do we have the issue of the symbolism, but then we have the issue of, okay, how does this dragon give this beast his power, throne and great authority? So in the prior chapter, Revelation chapter 12, This dragon is referred to as a Great Fiery Red Dragon. And you know. then there are other things attributed to this dragon, which are actually part of the coat of arms, the heraldic achievement that we were looking at. So for example, it's got seven heads, 10 horns, seven diadems or crowns on its heads. I'll show that those are actually on the coat of arms we were just looking at a moment ago. Just to clarify that, this is not a great translation, but nonetheless, all of the elements of this translation are on that heraldic achievement or coat of arms. But sticking with this red dragon symbolism for a moment, it's a great fiery red dragon. And elsewhere in this same chapter, that dragon is explicitly identified as the serpent of old called the devil and Satan, Mm -hmm. who deceives the whole world. In other words, that fiery red dragon is the same one that Eve encountered in the Garden of Eden, you know, as Satan, right? There are multiple words in Hebrew translated as serpent. The one that happens to be translated as serpent in Genesis chapter 3 may literally be translated as fiery or coppery red dragon. dragon. It happens to be the same word that's used of the serpent that Moses lifted up on the pole in the wilderness to which Israel had to look to be healed, you know, those who had sinned. Uh, that was a coppery serpent or a fiery red dragon that Moses lifted in the wilderness on that pole. Same, same Hebrew word, in other words, that's being used here and translated as, you know, fiery red dragon and identified as Satan. So coming back now to, oh, excuse me, uh, going the wrong direction, to this imagery here you know, and how this dragon might give Charles, for example, his power throne, and great authority. The red dragon is right here on his coat of arms, again, unique to him. Not completely unique in history. It was on some Tudor coats of arms in the past, uh, several centuries ago, but unique to him today and never in this combination before. So another unique thing about this heraldic achievement of Charles, and by the way, let me point out this, this coat of arms this heraldic achievement has not changed and it has not gone away with charles having become king a lot of people don't know that so i'll come back and describe what has occurred since he became king in relation to his coat of arms okay but this is this still pertains to charles in other words to this day unchanged so that being said the unicorn here has a man's eyes. It doesn't have the normal round eye that you would see, for example, on a horse with no visible eye wider sclera and a V-shaped eye socket. You know, as opposed to a perfectly round mm-hmm. one from what you can see on the outside. A horse, and this thing has a horse's body uh, mostly. These are actually boar's hooves. I originally thought these were goat's hooves, but as it turns out, they're actually boar's hooves. And then a horse's body, and then a unicorn horn, and then, of course, some other things different in terms of the mane and the tail. Uh, the eye, though, is a man's eyes, you know, human eyes. Not completely unique in history, but uh, unique today to Charles. Sometimes you'll see artistic renderings of William's and Harry's heraldic achievements showing eyes also that look like a man's eyes, but that's not officially correct. For Charles, this is officially correct. That's what it is. And And the
0: the unicorn's also sticking out his tongue. Is there any significance to that?
1: Yeah, like I said, every single piece of this is described in Scripture, including the sticking out of the tongue. (laughs) There are actually verses in Scripture that address this, believe it or not. And I cite those in the book. Okay. but Yes, for example, like the wicked wagging their tongue at the righteous, for example. Does that sound familiar at all? Yeah it does. And, yeah. You know, I, and I I don't know why
0: I thought of it but you know uh you and I are of the same vintage I would say Tim and uh I I remember the rock band Kiss and you know the sticking right. the tongue out and he was a demon you know.
1: Yeah the acronym Kiss stands for Kings and Satan service. I don't know if you know that. But Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So obviously non-Christian. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> All right, it's so not very good either. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Um, so coming back to this, the red dragon here. This happens to be the same one identified in scripture. Currently, this red dragon was adopted in one thousand, nine hundred and fifty-three as the national symbol of the nation of Wales. So it's on it's on Wales' flag. Prior to that, and still, it's also on the badge of Wales. It's been used for literally over a millennium. Uh, by the by, the people and now nation of Wales. So it actually goes back uh, about two millennia to these standards uh, which the Roman cohorts carried into battle that would whistle like a serpent whistling because of their design uh, that were morphed historically into this red dragon right here, the same one that we're looking at on Charles' heraldic achievement, his coat of arms. So those are, and they were called red dragon banners. Those banners were seen in first century Judea. So when John talked about the red dragon, you know, in the book of Revelation that we were just Mm -hmm. reading, he would have seen the precursor to this, the same one that the Romans, you know, used when they occupied ancient, uh, what became ancient Wales, and then, you know, ancient Britannia that made its way into uh, heraldry or British armory, and they also call it armory. But this is the national heraldic symbol of Wales. Like the United States, for example, has the eagle on the dollar bill. So Wales, in 1953, made the double their national symbol, literally. What year was Charles born? 1948. uh, Six months to the... Yeah, November 14th, 1948. Six months to the day after the modern uh, nation state of Israel was born, which was May 14th of 1948. So... Uh, about five years later, his mother, you know, uh, was already having her own event at Karen Arvon Castle. I'll come back to that. I won't get to that quite yet. But in 1958, 10 years after that, she told the people of Wales that she would create her son Charles right then Prince of Wales. She created him Prince of Wales. That's not the same thing as invested. So in 1958, she created him Prince of the Red Dragon You know, in Wales five years earlier, roughly had adopted this as her national symbol. And then in July 1969, 11 years later, she actually presented Charles to the people of Wales for his formal investiture, his crowning as Prince of Wales. So today, William uh, has been created by Charles, Prince of Wales. And Charles is still the twenty-first Prince of Wales in history. That never changes. But the title Prince of Wales with him is now dormant. That's how they refer to it. And with William, it's active. So William is the, the created Prince of Wales, but he's not invested and not crowned so far as Prince of Wales. He does not have this imagery on his coat of arms. And and so you asked me about William. A lot of people are saying that William has the same imagery. They're claiming that he's got the lion leopard bear beast. They're claiming that he has the red dragon right here. They're claiming, you know, those who who know anything about what I've said about Charles, that his unicorn has human eyes. Some people have claimed that, not very many. All of those claims are false. None of them are true. William has a lion or normal lion leopard, you know, in terms of heraldry on his coat of arms in what's called the Dexter position, this position here. He has a normal unicorn, officially, in what's called the sinister position. This position here on his heraldic achievement, it does not formally have a man's eyes, unlike Charles. He has no red dragon at all on his heraldic achievement. This thing right here that's on William's and Harry's and Charles' heraldic achievement was also on Queen Elizabeth II's and also on King George's George VI's. Uh, which is one of the uh, quarters uh, of the Royal Shield, this is called the Royal Shield right here, of England. Not this central part, but the rest of it. This is actually the red lion of Scotland. It's a lion, it's not a dragon. And so people who've looked at this and said that's a red dragon, they're absolutely ignorant of heraldry and what's actually here. Just to clarify that for everyone. So, William, in fact, does not have the imagery that Charles has, and on that basis alone, by itself, is not qualified to even be considered as the Antichrist. And we'll come back to those qualifications in Revelation 13. But uh, we did read about the crowns, right? The seven crowns and and that kind of thing that I said were on this heraldic achievement. Yeah, in Revelation 13. Seven crowns. Yeah, you can count them. There are seven crowns on this. So, one, two, three, four... Five, six, seven. Right here, there's the seventh one right there. It said it had seven heads, right? In the center of this, there are seven unobscured heads. One, four more right here for five, six, and then this one, heraldically, is viewed as unobscured, seven. Three of the 10 are obscured. There are 10 horns. You know, and according to Daniel 7, we'll get to that prophecy, three of the ten are plucked up by the roots, and a little horn with a man's eyes comes in among those ten, you know, right before he plucks up three by the roots. This is the little horn of the eyes of a man of Daniel 7 in context, and we'll go and read that prophecy. That's talking about a unicorn with human eyes. In the ancient Assyrian and Babylonian religious seals and some of their coinage, we might call them a medallion today, but they were often made of clay. But in the ancient Assyrian and Babylonian uh, religious seals, they would commonly have the lion and the unicorn, which was also originally represented as an aurochs bull, like a giant bull from a side profile so that you could only see one of its horns. And that you know mm. morphed, if you will, historically into the unicorn of scripture. So people look, for example, in the translation in the Old Testament, and if they're not looking at a King James Version translation, whether that be the Authorized or New King James, usually they're seeing the word bull, or King James translates it as unicorn. And the King James actually has it right. Uh, though it was the auroch's bull historically in Assyrian Babylonia, which is often what this prophecy is referring to in context, it became the unicorn. And so the little horn of the eyes of a man of Daniel 7 in his day was actually a unicorn and that's what this is. But in the religious seals, the ones I mentioned for Assyrian Babylonia, we're talking the 8th century to the 6th century BC roughly, that time frame. They had the lion and the unicorn in opposition to one another, the lion representing the sun, the unicorn the moon. Some of them would add the serpent actually to those same, uh, those same um, seals or medallions that they had or you know, whatever they call them. So they'd have two or three of these elements. And that actually is the source, Jeff, for the arrangement of the symbols on the British Royal Coats of Arms. The arrangement that you're seeing here with the lion and the unicorn in opposition to one another, and then in this case on Charles the Red Dragon added, derives from ancient to Babylonia and Assyria. Mm-hmm. That's its origin. And um, so coming back to the symbolism, William and Harry do not have this imagery, and neither of them on that basis alone are qualified to be, considered even, as potentially the Antichrist. Now, and when back you say this, that,
0: I just want to be clear, uh, they're not qualified because they don't meet the biblical requirements. God's word must be fulfilled. So it, it, I'm assuming that's the basis you're putting that on.
1: It is. And neither one of them has the ten horns either. And people are looking at this, I'm sure, and saying, where are the ten horns, right? <laughs> and I'm saying, well, it's actually staring you in the face. And I address them in the book. So let's go through this for a moment. You get three that are plucked up by the roots in the uh, book of Daniel, chapter 7. Around the necks of these beasts are this symbol right here that I'm circling with my mouse, which you can see right here, right? Right. Yeah, so it's kind of right? like
0: this uh, weird necklace with these, uh, like, shaped cylinder shapes hanging down. Horns.
1: Yeah. This is called the label of the eldest son or the label of the heir apparent. One of those is a formal designation. The other is informal in heraldry. This label is around the necks of each of these beasts to represent Charles as the heir apparent to the throne. Originally and the eldest son. So, you see it around the neck here, around the neck here, around the neck here, around the neck of the red dragon. And then you see it again, right here. Yeah. And above this, right here, is what's called the crest. This is the crest of the heraldic achievement, this whole thing that I'm circling right here. Mm-hmm. And in the center base of the crest is this helm. This is the sovereign helm there because Charles was always to be the sovereign from the start. This has been on his heraldic achievement as Prince of Wales from the beginning, meaning he was always expected to become the sovereign of the UK by those behind creating this. This is not just a form of occult artwork, but it's meant to be prophetic at the same time by those you know who were involved in it, creating it. It was always spiritual and satanic from the beginning, as well as prophetic. And so he has the sovereign helm here. This beast right here at the top. Above the crest. you
0: mm-hmm. know, Atop
1: the crown and atop the helm. This beast is the same beast as this one in heraldry. It's two instances of the same beast appearing twice. And then you have the fiery red dragon. And then you have the unicorn. And then you have this thing right here. What it is saying is that. The overall heraldic achievement, or coat of arms, which has its own head in heraldry, in the occult realm of heraldry, is a corporate beast. The whole thing is a single beast. In other words, this is the head of the overall beast that everyone is looking at. But the overall beast is comprised of multiple other beasts, at least three, right? Major ones. This one, this one, and this one, right? All of these, which have this label around the neck, specifically and explicitly represent Charles on the heraldic achievement. So not only is the red dragon, Satan himself, going to become Charles, according to this, meaning possessed Charles, but the little horn with the eyes of a man also is Charles. The lion, leopard, bear, beast, this Dexter beast also is Charles. And by the way, this is called Dexter, which means the left-hand side in heraldry. Mm. Or excuse me, the right-hand side. I don't mean to say left, the right-hand side. And this is called sinister, which means the um, left-hand side in heraldry. To us, it looks like this one's on the right, this one's on the left. But so far as the heralds are concerned, it's the other way around, because this corporate beast is looking out at us. Right. Okay? So it's from their perspective in the occult realm, this overall thing is alive. And this is its head in a spiritual occult way, kind of like, you know, in witchcraft where they speak things into existence, right? Mm-hmm. In their view, this is doing it the same thing in an even more occult artistic way, a symbolic way, if you will. Well, it, it's
0: magic that's behind this sort of thing that they Correct.
1: do. Yes. And so I was talking about the 10 horns, right? Well, biblically, a horn, both in the Greek and the Hebrew, can have three different primary shapes. One is conical, like we see here atop the unicorn, right? Nobody disputes that this is a horn, right here. Another is shaped a lot like we'd see with a chemistry vial, right here. These, per the definition of horn in the Hebrew and Greek, are horns, there are three horns right here. And because they seem to be inverted you know, visually to us, we can very easily say they're plucked up by the roots right so here are three horns as if plucked up by the roots right here the middle one slightly obscured right by this crown that's over it three horns plucked up by the roots part of the overall head area of the corporate beast there are seven more right here the other form for a horn is like an elephant's tusk curved like this you'll notice there's seven of them in this helm. The count of seven is significant, which is what you have in the sovereign helm. Queen Elizabeth II also had this same helm on her heraldic achievement when she became queen. As princess, she did not have this helm. And that's one of the things that's so unusual about Charles. He wasn't yet king, but he was given this sovereign helm from the beginning.
0: Now, did not his mother say at some point in time that he was the chosen one or something? like At his birth, wasn't it?
1: Yes, from his birth. And in fact, everybody at Charles Investiture in July 1969, you know, when the crown was put on his head, and we can see this today on YouTube, for example, in video, as well as photographs, that it was his mother who put the crown on his head. Everybody in the world could see that. And that was the most widely viewed event in the history of the world at the time. And the crown itself was comprised of nails and crosses made of nails all around its brim to signify Charles as if he were a crucified person, you know, resurrected in a sense.
0: What a mockery. Yeah,
1: as a counterfeit Christ. Yeah, as a mockery, counterfeit Christ. Gold nails, actually made of gold, but they were nails. And, uh, but anyway, that crown was put on his head by his mother. And Charles was recounted in a biography as saying that his father put the crown on his head. And additionally, his mother gave him various vests. He said that. That's
0: not hearsay. That's public. He said, "My father put the crown on my head."
1: Yeah, it's public and it's in writing. It's in it's in a biography by one of the world's most prominent biographers on Charles, and it's quoted also in the first edition of my book. So it's in my book also both editions. So the actual quotation, the citation, people can go look at that book, the other one, and see the quote in that other biography, an actual biography of Charles. So he's quoted as saying that his father put the crown on his head, and that his mother gave him some of the vestments you know, at the investiture, excuse me, not his mother, his father gave him some of the vestments. But in reality, it was his mother who did both of those things. And people can see that. And it was the most widely viewed event in the history of the world at the time you know, 500 million, a half a billion plus in the television audience, rivaled only by our landing on the moon in the same month. You know, up to that point in history, it was the most widely viewed event uh, in all history ever. And interestingly, he, Charles and his mother, and, I, and I'm getting back now to this issue of how does the dragon give Charles his power throne, and great authority, right? So in 1958... Uh, Charles was created Prince of Wales, 1969, crowned Prince of Wales. 1953, the Red Dragon became the symbol of the Nation of Wales. So, when he was crowned Prince of Wales, he was crowned Prince of the Red Dragon. This is what people need to understand. He was literally crowned Prince of Satan. Biblically. And his mother had this particular dragon engraved on the backrest of the throne from which she stood up to put the crown on Charles' head. And he was facing this dragon through her torso, facing the backrest of her throne, through her torso when he knelt before her for her to put that crown on his head. And right behind her, in front of Charles also, and behind the backrest of that throne, were huge red dragon banners on the castle wall, uh, on the interior of the Queen's Gate which Charles was also facing. And then in back of Charles, behind Charles, which the Queen was facing when she put the crown on his head, were more huge red dragon banners in front of the, the interior wall of the Eagle Gate, the gate through which Charles had entered the castle. And on the outside of both of those gates, the Queen's Gate and the Eagle's Gate, as well as the outside of the King's Gate, these are all at Caernarvon Castle, and some other locations on the interior and exterior of Karen Arvon Castle's walls and entrances, gates, were more huge red dragon banners. There were several of, the, several of these on the interior and exterior castle walls. And this is an open air castle, so it has no roof over the over the main castle. It's open air. And so the queen was facing the red dragon, and she stood up from the backrest with the red dragon. And Charles was facing the red dragon as well when the crown was put on his head to crown him Prince of Wales, Prince of the Red Dragon. And then he said it was his father who did it. Who was his father? Well, Prince Philip had nothing to do with any of it. He just sat there and observed the proceedings. You know, on one of the thrones that know, had no he's
0: talking about. He's talking about that red dragon.
1: Yeah. So, so right. The point is the devil is the one he's referring to as his father. Mm -hmm. That's what he was doing. And it's not the first time he's done that, Jeff. He did it again at the World Economic Forum, not calling him his father, but he referred to the devil. You know, a lot of people noticed that speech at the World Economic Forum right after the Great Reset, which by the way, Charles personally announced to the world from the, the World Economic Forum. So a lot of people talk about the Great Reset and they think of Klaus Schwab, right? You know, because Klaus Schwab is the head of the World Economic Forum, and he founded the World Economic Forum in 1970 or 1971. You know, depending on the source you read, I still haven't found the correct source on it, but it's one of those dates. So he founded the WEF, but all this time Klaus Schwab is reported to Prince Charles, and now to King Charles. And Klaus Schwab is one of the knights of Charles. A lot of people don't know that. He's hey, one of Charles he's knights.
0: a Rothschild. Pardon me? So Schwab is also a Rothschild.
1: Yes, in fact, that's correct. He is the Rothschild. Yeah. And the Rothschilds and so they, are also...
0: They've always been in servitude to the crown.
1: Yes, and in fact, the roth well, yeah, partially in servitude. But the Rothschilds are also married into the line of the British monarchy. A lot of people don't know that at multiple points. So Diana, for example, her mother, a lot of people believe that her father was not the person the public has been told, but that she also... Was a Rothschild, Princess Diana, Williams and Harry's mother. I'm talking recent history. There are even earlier examples of the Rothschilds marrying, marrying into the line of the British monarchy. Uh, Kate, uh, William's wife, her mother is a Rothschild. <laughs> Interesting, huh? So, I I so keep it in the family. I'm telling you. Yeah. So the point is, though. Uh, This red dragon literally gave Charles his power, throne, and great authority. All of his power and authority derived from him being Prince of Wales, even as King of England today. Because his power base, which sits beneath him, which goes beyond the crown, was built up as Prince of Wales, Prince of Satan, since 1969. Since July of 1969, Charles has been the number one globalist on the planet, behind the scenes. He has been running the world even without a global government yet, the whole time. So I'll come back to that and describe some actual examples of that besides the World Economic Forum, which is just one.
0: Yeah, the climate agenda, of of course, as well. But the Great Reset, and we talked, when he announced it, he was the very first speaker to announce it. He's announcing the new financial system, which
1: has to be brought in for the mark of the beast to become a reality. Well, yes, he announced it months before Klaus Schwab came out with his book. Months, you know, before Schwab came out with his book titled *The Great Reset*, with the COVID subtitle. And then, of course, Schwab, was, Schwab and others at the WEF were talking about taking advantage of what happened right in the past three years with the, with we'll call it the, uh, you know, the shots. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Taking advantage of that whole thing, yeah, you because know, we don't want to get censored on YouTube, right? So taking advantage of that whole thing to bring in lockdowns and a lot of other stuff, including the so-called vaccine passports, which have QR codes on them, right? Which various people in the world were not able to buy or sell without in certain venues, literally. Mm-hmm. They had to present the passport to go into stores to buy things other than food, for example, malls or places like Costco or Sam's Club. And I'm, I'm not saying it happened at Costco or Sam's Club. I'm saying places like those in various countries. They had to present those for international travel, right? Aircraft travel to get aboard a plane. It, and they had to present it to, in places in this country to go into restaurants to eat in and places like in a New trial York. Run. What's that? It was just a trial run. It was. But uh, as I talk about in my coming book on the mark of the beast, QR codes at least symbolically have 666 in them.
0: Mm-hmm. UPC
1: and EAN barcodes literally have 666 in them, all of them in the world do, uh, and so forth. But And so we'll come back to some of those things, maybe we'll touch on them, but they're addressed in a little bit in the Antichrist Cup Tea and also a lot in my coming book on the Mark of the Beast. That being said, the system was beginning to be implemented through the World Economic Forum, the things that it was recommending to the world, and also through the World Health Organization, these so-called vaccine passports. Um, Without getting into that too much, because I want to come back to some more things on this symbolism and and the scripture dealing with this in a moment. Uh, The central bank digital currencies that are being, you know, foisted on the world now, they're telling, yeah, they're telling basically every bank in the world, they're saying, needs to have operational CBDCs, central bank digital currencies, by 2025. They need to have it ready for use, in other words, around the world at that point. The Fed in the United States, the Federal Reserve, which is not federal actually, is implementing Fed now currently, you know, the CBDC for this country. There's another CBDC that's actually called Unicorn <laughs> that's meant to be interop- interoperational among all of these CBDCs internationally. So, kind of like a go between CBDC. To work with all these other CBDCs that are national, CBDCs, CBDCs are also referred to as programmable currencies, and with these currencies, they can literally program tyranny against the world economically and against individuals. Individuals, you know, they you could go to the gas pump to get gas for your vehicle, and they could say, "Sorry, you've used your carbon allowance." Yeah, you're no more than five kilometers
0: you. away from your house, Tim. No gas for you.
1: Sorry. Yeah, yeah, hoof it. So, they could. They could say you've uh, gone more than 15 miles outside of your your city like they're doing in some places now in the UK uh, too many times in the past week or month or year, whatever it is. So you can't leave the gate. You're not allowed to exit this area. You've been polluting too much with your tailpipe. They could say uh, too much red meat, uh, no more red meat for you till next month because uh, cattle produce too much methane, methane, so much green, too many greenhouse gases, or too much uh, nitrogen runoff you know, into water, too much pollution, so-called, right, which we use for fertilizer. They can just make this garbage up as they go, literally. And, and they're it, going the tyranny, to. tyranny.
0: And they're going to.
1: Correct. And it gets even worse than what I've begun to describe. It gets much, much worse, in fact, than what I've begun to describe they can implement depopulation with this, literally, once it's in place. So I cover that in another book I have coming that deals with that agenda with uh, transhumanism and also global enslavement you know, of mankind's survivors from the first part of that agenda where they wanna pare down the global population to about 3% roughly of what it is today quickly. So they wanna do this in a period of years, literally not decades yeah. or centuries.
0: And they're rushing this right now, Tim. And I, I'm not an alarmist. You know, I, I, there's no fear because I, I believe in God and whatever God allows is good with me. But um, let's face it, the the uh, <laughs> hokey pokey, as I like to call it, uh, that is having a dramatic effect on population already. But beyond that, we're on the brink of nuclear war.
1: We are. And so that was another point I was going to make, you know, they've got an agenda to try to do this thing without destroying the global infrastructure. That's their desire. The globalists behind this, you know, who are under the devil under Charles, basically that's, that's mm-hmm. the hierarchy. And the agenda has been planned literally for, for several decades, if not centuries, I can trace it. And I do in that coming book, uh, going back to pre-World War Two Germany, you know, and the British monarchy. So the British monarchy has actually been at the top of the thing from the beginning. It wasn't just you know Nazi Germany in reality. I, I deal with that in that coming book. And now the whole thing is under Charles. That being said, their desire to do it without, fa- you know, destroying the global infrastructure is going to fail because a lot of people are waking up to what they're doing with all of this and are not going to go along with it. And so their next option is warfare. You know, and people who think that wars happen accidentally, <laughs> you know. Like world wars happen accidentally? No, in reality, they do not. Well, the said They're family
0: that we just mentioned has always financed both sides of, world, of both world wars. Well, so, not
1: only that, people can go and look at Albert Pike's writings. Yes. You know, he was a Satanist and an occultist, and he outlined three global wars, and he told how they would come to pass. And right now we're waiting for the third one, and the first two happened more or less exactly as he said they would.
0: They certainly have. And he, he was outlining fact, the plot. covered that a couple weeks ago on this show.
1: Yeah. So in other words, there's. I'm not just saying that they pre-planned this stuff. There's evidence that they did it. Well, people it, can go
0: see. Satan has been reading and memorizing scripture since it was available. Like Satan knows it better than we do, and he wants to come into power. This is my conjecture but he wants to come into power. He knows that he can only can go by these rules. So he has been trying to fulfill these things so we can come into power. That's at least my perspective.
1: Yeah. Well, at the risk of being arrogant, I'm going to say, number one, in reality, Satan is the chief idiot of angels. And number two, he does not understand scripture as well as I do. There are things he's tried to do that are not going to work as he expects. And I can plainly state that and show that from Scripture. And I think the same can be true of a fair number of other Christians who really studied this stuff. Mm-hmm. He tries to act as if he understands it better, right? And I'll give some examples of things that, that I see that...
0: Yeah, because that's a pretty bold statement, Tim. So. It's a very bold <laughs> statement. Just, right? I, 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 my audience will be screaming if I don't challenge you on that one.
1: Yeah, well, here's a perfect example. He's going to go to war against Christ at... Uh, Armageddon, right? The devil and his minions are going to make war against Christ at Armageddon. Do you think Satan would be doing that if he didn't have a plan to win? If he didn't actually believe that he was going to win?
0: No, he does. Well, and he's convinced his followers of it as well.
1: Yeah, that's an example of Satan being a chief idiot. He doesn't just think he's going to win he not only has a plan to win, the things that come after him winning have already been planned and set in motion too. And I get into that with my series called Solar Apocalypse. So I have a multi-volume series coming that deals with the uh, fake aliens agenda, which is part of what I'm talking about here, The what comes after, in other words, Satan and the fallen angel, angels defeating Christ at the Battle of Armageddon their plan i've addressed it in this series called solar apocalypse what's already in play and has literally been in play since almost after the fall of mankind in the garden of eden so very quickly so before noah's flood to this day there has been a a series of things in play in motion under the devil not just to beat christ at armageddon but to eliminate humanity and supplant us with humanoids who worship the devil afterwards throughout creation, not just on earth. So, and the people who are worshiping the devil, uh, you know, and serving him under Charles, they don't think they're going to lose.
0: No, they don't. They, think.
1: yeah, they don't think they're going to lose. They think they're gonna rule and reign under the devil after Lucifer, you know, is how they refer to Satan, wins. They also believe that a version of transhumanist humanity is going to supplant mankind, a superior version, if you will, of humanity under the devil and that that's what will be afterward. What they don't understand is that part of the devil's plot is to completely annihilate them too. Yes, (laughs)
0: it is. He hates all humans. We're made in the image of God.
1: Yeah, transhumanized or not, that's still too much of God's image for the devil to be satisfied. Okay, so so when I say Satan is the chief idiot, he is. When I say he's not as smart as someone like me, for example, and I say like, because I believe there are others who would say some similar things. You know, he thinks he's going to win, but we know he's not. Okay, and that's well, where he becomes he a fool. fool.
0: Fail at Armageddon, but then there's Gog and Magog, where she fails again. And and when you look at the scripture, even at Armageddon, uh, like Jesus gives it like half a verse, and it's done, right? <laughs> like it's not yeah. even. Yeah.
1: Correct. Yeah, that's very true. He does. He doesn't waste words on the topic. <laughs>
0: No. And and, you know, you think of all these Hollywood movies that have blown this whole thing up and everything. Jesus is like, listen, molecules are held together by God. Like, you know, God just thinks it and things are gone. Like, it's not a challenge, right?
1: Correct. So, but let's go back to scripture here a little bit. And I wanted to point out just for people's satisfaction where this is described in Daniel chapter 7. And then uh, I will also uh, talk about this chain and then we'll move on to the name calculation and other things related to Charles, you know, as the proven identified Antichrist. In other words, folks, he already is proven to be the Antichrist. There is zero possibility that he won't fulfill all of these prophecies as the Antichrist up to the point where the Lord has him cast down to hell in Revelation chapter 20 some years from now. Okay, so I'm not saying Charles might be the Antichrist. I'm saying de facto he is the Antichrist, and he's already running the show, and soon he'll be over a global government. So I'll also talk, Jeff, about how that global government is likely to be created very quickly. Yeah,
0: that's of great interest to me.
1: So we can talk about that too. Let me go to the scriptures here. Um, so before we get into the name calculation, down here in verse 18 of Revelation 13. Let's go to Daniel chapter 7 for a moment. And let's look at the little horn. I pointed out how the little horn is on Charles' uh, coat of arms. Sorry about that beeping if you're hearing it um, from my computer. I need to learn to turn those things off. (laughs) But anyway, when we get down here uh, toward the end of Daniel chapter 7, Yeah, it's continuing with a fourth beast, an historical kingdom on the earth, this prophecy being already fulfilled historically, this fourth beast, but then it merges into the heraldic achievement. That is Charles' coat of arms. On this heraldic achievement or coat of arms are elements of that fourth beast, including the ten toes of the statue of of Daniel, um, pardon me, uh, chapter two. You know, and the vision that Nebuchadnezzar had with the gold head being uh, Babylon. You know, and that statue in Daniel 2 had mm-hmm. 10 toes at the bottom of it that represented the 10 kings. So we'll come back to that. But when we go yeah, to Daniel I'm only chapter eight 7. i eight toes there. Yeah, that's because uh, four of them are hidden. You know, they're behind. Okay. But you can see it on the graven coat of arms um, that were hung over the Queen's Gate and the Eagle's Gate that I show in the book. Uh, you can actually see all five on those because of the uh, perspective but there are actually five okay and that's a yeah there are five they're only showing you four here likewise uh when you look at these 10 in the center just to, to mention this for a moment these four are on the shield of wales and you see the same four on what's called the flag of wales which i separately show in the book these other six are on the royal shield of england uh, Charles has all 10 because he came became Prince of Wales. So they added these four for him to make up 10. But on the flag, you know, where you can see this in higher resolution, and that's my point, on the flag of Wales, all of these actually have five claws per foot. You can actually see them. And they're all lion leopard bears. All 10 of these are lion leopard bears instead of the normal lions or lion uh, leopards for England. And biblically, they're called the lines of Tarshish. Now, people wonder about the identity of Tarshish in the Old Testament, people have argued for Gibraltar or Spain, typically. Some have argued for England, actually, uh, as the identity of Tarshish. Uh, England is the correct identification. And I go into it in this book, in the Antichrist and Captivity. But the point I want to make is, You can see on these smaller versions of this Dexter beast, they're like the children, if you will, historically of the United Kingdom under Charles, is a a way to describe them. But they've all become lion leopard bears, you know, on his heraldic achievement, and on the shield or the flag for Wales, They all have five claws, and you can see that, uh, and I show that in the book. So without further belaboring that, coming back to this, it goes into further aspects of the meaning of the symbolism on Charles Roaldic achievement. For example, these ten horns are ten kings or rulers. This can also be translated as rulers. You know, And then it says that three of them will be subdued. And it tells us also plucked up by the roots. So if you were to search for the word root here, we see it Um, earlier in Daniel seven plucked out by the roots, um, right here. So the little horn, uh, having a man's eyes and we search for eyes right here, you know, in this little horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth a mouth speaking pompous or arrogant words. He comes up among those 10 as a little one, right? Comes up among the them, which is those other 10, You know, and he has eyes like the eyes of a man. Well, what's so interesting here is that this little horn with a man's eyes, and that's reiterated down here again, that he has the eyes and a mouth which speak pompous words, the same little horn. He rules for a time, times, and a half a time, according to Daniel chapter 7, when he comes to power. So, if I look for the word times, we find that here in Daniel 7.25, where he rules for a time and times and half a time. And if we go back to Revelation, and in this case to chapter... um, Chapter... 11. Well, it might be 12 and 11, but let's go to 12 for a moment here and look for times here. Uh, Okay. It's in here. It's here as well. So this dragon, you know, who the red dragon that empowers Charles is the antichrist. This woman, and I address the identity of this woman in my other books, uh, the upcoming Messiah history and the tribulation period multi-volume series, this series. Mm -hmm. So in the book that deals with uh, the rapture and the apocalypse, the book of the Revelation, that volume, I address the identity of this woman being discussed right here, which is more complex than most people realize. But part of the identity is believing Israel right here. And this woman flees into the wilderness where she's provided for and nourished for a time, times and a half a time, that same period in which the Antichrist, the little horn of the the eyes of a man has dominion. Okay? Now that time, times and a half a time is elsewhere defined in the prior chapter, Revelation 11, as 42 months. Yeah,
0: like 1240 days.
1: Yeah, 42 months and 1260 days. So we're talking 42 months of 30 days in length each. And if one goes back to Genesis, I think it's the fifth chapter of Genesis before Noah's flood. People can check me on that. But if one goes back to Genesis in the Old Testament prior to Noah's flood, one will discover that a period of five months is delineated as 150 days. In other words, Earth before Noah's flood had 12 30 day months. So the months were actually 30 days long before Noah's flood.
0: That's right, yeah.
1: And it's that uh, manner of counting, we'll say, and I I address this in further detail in my books, but it's that manner of counting that's being used here in Revelation 11 to identify that period of 42 months as 1,260 days, so a 30-day count per month currently. That's what God's using to specify that period of three and a half years that the little horn of the eyes of a man has his reign. So a time for a year, times for two years, and half a time for the half a year, or three and a half years, same as 42 months. And then when we get to Revelation chapter 13, it's that same three and a half year period that this beast has his power throne, and great authority. It's that period in which he rules. You know, when all nations are following after him. So we're told that, Authority will be given to him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. Now, Charles is already controlling things by and large behind the scenes, and I'll give some examples of that before we finish the interview. You know, even before the global government itself actually exists. And it tells us that all the people who dwell on the earth will worship him, meaning Satan, the red dragon, and this beast that he's possessing, because Charles is going to be possessed. As the red dragon, you know, the red dragon possesses him. That's why that label of the eldest son is around his neck. It's signifying that the devil is going to possess Charles. In other words, that Charles himself is actually going to become Satan, so far as the world is concerned. And Satan is going to become Charles by taking over his body, much as when Judas's carryout was possessed by the devil. And we'll talk about that when we discuss this chain in a moment. But the point is. The world is going to worship uh, the devil and worship Charles once Satan possesses him. And the world will be following after him at that point, and his personality will change. He'll have the actual personality of the devil, you know, besides his human personality, if you will.
0: Now, Tim, you know, I'm not an expert in this, but man, I've done extensive studying on Revelation, on Daniel's 70th week, and And every time I read this, I see something new because that's just what – I can never get to the bottom of Scripture. It just is constantly giving me revelation. But there's a couple things here because it says that uh, Satan comes as an angel of light. And so I'm just wondering, when he comes out, like, I think it's a supernatural event that the world is going to see – this guy getting power from and you know, maybe I've read too much of the occultic stuff, and I have actually uh in my research, but you know, they all these people talk about these ascended masters and everything else. The mm-hmm. occult certainly goes to them, and I, I'm I'm almost envisioning it, and maybe this is just his version of the plan, not God's, but I'm almost envisioning it as something like, you know, this ascended master coming down and saying, I give him authority, you know, uh, how, how does that look to you?
1: I will show you. Right. I'll tell you in a moment. So, you know, the, the, those who are Satanists typically call him Lucifer, you know, the more hardcore ones will call him Satan. You know, a lot of people want to put this veneer of an angel of light, in other words, on the devil by calling well, the, the,
0: the satanic system actually has a light side and a dark side. Dark magic, light magic, right? And the light people call him Lucifer and the dark ones call him Satan, essentially.
1: Yeah, but in reality it's all the same thing. It's a, it's
0: a slight of He, he lost his title of Satan, of Lucifer, as far as I'm concerned.
1: <laughs> well, yes and no. You asked me about him being, you know, manifesting as an angel of light that is him as Lucifer. So we'll come back to that in a moment. Um, I'll show how that's being portrayed in the world currently. So I'll give an actual example. And I've already shown this in my interviews, but probably you're just not thinking of it at the moment. It'll be obvious when I show it to you here in a moment, in a minute. But uh, first of all, let me also point out here that this second beast, which many Christians think is the false prophet who works in tandem with the Antichrist. And while he's not called the false prophet here, In Revelation 13, if we go to Revelation chapter 16, he is called the false prophet. So the mouth of the beast and the mouth of the false prophet, and then before that, the mouth of the dragon. So Satan, mouth of the dragon, mouth of the beast, that's the first beast in this case. Charles is the Antichrist, you know, when he's been possessed by the devil as well as by multiple demons. And we know that from this statement here because a demon is going to come out of his mouth Mm -hmm. while he's still possessed by the devil. And then out of the mouth of the false prophet. Now, many people believe that that false prophet is the second beast of Revelation 13 whose purpose is to turn the world to the first beast, to get the world to worship and follow after the first beast. And this false prophet does miracles you know, in the sight of the first beast or what seems to be miracles. And that could be a lot of different things. And I go into that in my books, you know, apart from actual, quote unquote, supernatural miracles or, or activity,
0: uh, draw fire from the sky. And
1: yeah, I mean, today that could be lasers or bombs dropping from the sky. or Right. Well, we, AI could could artificial be, lightning, that's <laughs> for sure. You know, some of the illusion like we see in science fiction. There are a dozen different ways they could portray that today, apart but from moving. absolutely. You know, apart from some supernatural activity, which could also be what it's talking about. So maybe all of the above. We'll wait and see when the time comes. But the point is, uh, this false prophet is the one who, in this chapter, is said to do miracles before this beast. Even though this beast, Charles, is going to be possessed by the devil. So a lot of people are looking at Charles and saying. He can't be the Antichrist. He's not doing any miracles. Well, again, and the point this is the point I'm making, that betrays a misunderstanding of Scripture and a lack of understanding of what Scripture says. Nowhere here does the Scripture say Charles is going to do any miracles as and, the Antichrist. And,
0: and by the way, I, sorry, i got to interject here, but when I was rereading this again this morning prior to you coming on, it's one of the heads takes a cr- critical wound It doesn't necessarily have to be
1: Charles, does it? Well, no, and that's another point that I'll make here, and I've made this in some of my other interviews and of course in the book. This beast, according to Revelation 13, has multiple heads, plural. It doesn't have one, it has multiple heads, right? So we see that here, repeated in Revelation 13. And it is, as you say, one of his heads that is mortally wounded, not all of them, one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded. So as if fatally wounded, in other words, the expectation that people, human beings, would ordinarily have seeing that wound when the time comes is that the individual's gonna be dead, gonna die. It's fatal, right? But the interjection here as if you know, calls that into question. So we we can't be sure that he's actually gonna die, but the expectation is that he would die. Or it's gonna look like he died. Yeah, Because it says, as left if. Left
0: there. God doesn't make mistakes that he puts into these words.
1: Well, okay, let me uh, clarify that a little bit. So, a lot of people have the expectation that Christ began his ministry at the age of 30, right? Because we read about that in, uh, I think it's the Gospel of John. You know, it says, as if 30 years. That's what the scripture actually says, as if 30 years. It's the same. Um, kind of wording that we see here, as if. Okay, but what the Greek text actually, or and many English translations say, <clears throat> at about the age of 30. But the Greek text literally says, as if 30. So in other words, Christ when he began his ministry might not have been 30. He could have been 40 in his 40s, we don't know. And later in, in Luke, they actually said to Jesus, to Yeshua, you are not yet 50 years old, right? They didn't say to him, you're not yet 40. Wouldn't that have made more sense if he was in his 30s? They said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. Now, some people say, well, at 50, they might have retired and been in the gate you know, of the city instead of engaging in active ministry or that kind of thing. But regardless, the point is, we don't know that he was in his 30s. You know, between John and Luke, he could very well have been in his 40s when he was engaging in ministry. And the reason we don't know is because of those two statements, one of which says, as if. So when we come back to this right here concerning the Antichrist, it says, as if mortally wounded. So yeah, maybe mortally wounded, but we don't really know for sure. What we do know is the reaction of the world and the reaction of mankind will be to worship the devil and the Antichrist. And that kind of you know dramatic reaction Kinda does suggest a resurrection. Mm Yeah, or something that seems to be that. We don't know that it'll be that, but whatever it is, it'll be close enough to that as far as the world is concerned that they'll be awing and ooing or something like that, right? All right. So when we talk about heads, on this heraldic achievement, there are multiple heads, right? There's the ten here. There's the red line of Scotland, which has a head. Obviously the dragon has a head. The unicorn has a head. This lion leopard bear beast has a head, and it's repeated here, the same beast. So there are, and of course, the overall heraldic achievement, the coat of arms itself has a head, right? So there are multiple heads here. Uh, The major ones all explicitly represent Charles. The red dragon explicitly represents him because of this label around the neck. Same thing with the unicorn, same thing with the lion leopard bear beast. And then again, same thing with the overall heraldic achievement or coat of arms. So I think that rather than saying that it's the Antichrist himself who doesn't necessarily receive that fatal wound, you know, with that strange language of heads, I think what uh, John and the scripture here are really pointing out is that this beast has more than one head. And we can see that literally, obviously, here on the heraldic achievement. And the placement of the label seems to suggest that that head is still going to be Charles himself. So with that, being said, let's go on to the chain for a moment. And by the way, you